I saw a joke about this, and we need to lighten the conversation slightly. And that is that uh, IKEA is putting out a new Putin dining table that is 45 feet long and about uh, as wide, I think it's like three feet wide. So, uh, so that you can entertain your guests in the luxury that they've come to expect from the Kremlin. Yeah, a lot of truth in there. <laughs> Once more unto the preach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good mating, good, good, good mating. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, we are today bringing you uh, news on the economy, breaking, well, broken news? Broken news. Broken news on the economy. Right. Yes, um, we will try to tape it back together as much as possible to make it as uh, reasonably understanding. No, wait a minute, you, you can't really, you can't have a reasonable understanding of economics, can you? An unreasonable so. understanding of what's happening in the economic world. Yes, and we will bring to you uh, this uh, unreasonable and broken news in hopefully an entertaining and fun fashion. Um. But before we do that, we have to tell you other things called disclosures, because you shouldn't be closing things. You should be disclosing them. <clears throat> other people might call those openings. Mm. Not us. We call them right. disclosing. Would you please disclose the door? Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first is that the personal wealth coach is not just this radio program or podcast, depending on what you're listening to at the moment. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm offering fiduciary investment advice to uh, our clients. Our clients, because the, the folks that are talking on here are part of that same organization. Now, we're not paid to do this, and we don't pay to do it. Well, we don't, the radio program. The, the program, yes, the, the fiduciary yeah. site. And we can't offer fiduciary advice on the air because of privacy issues and such. Um, so if we're not paid to do it and we're not paying to do it and we can't offer fiduciary, what in the world are we doing on here? We're hopefully going to educate you, possibly entertain you. Um, we do pay for advertisements on this, the station for this radio program, but so does the studio. We don't pay for the radio program, though. Correct. And uh, they don't pay us. Correct. So what what it is, we have a partnership with them to advertise for the radio program. Um, and we've been doing this or some version of it since 1996. I, basically, what we're saying there is this is not paid commercial advertisements. So we, we have gotten clients from this radio program. But that's not where we get the majority of our clients. In fact, it's a pretty right. small percentage of our clients. So it's not like we don't get benefit from this. It's just not the reason why we do it. I think if we can give some education to the world and it benefits them, we're going to benefit too. There. You want to get the and next we one? Are an SEC, we're an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. However, 
That doesn't imply that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything we're doing. It's just there are regulators well, wait, and we're registered with them. It doesn't imply that they approve of anything that we do, but it may imply that they disapprove of something. Well, I'm sure they disapprove of a lot of things, but it doesn't right. imply that they approve or disapprove of any particular thing. Correct. Yes, that is correct. They have, just because we're registered with them doesn't mean that they like us any more than they like anyone else. They are similar in many ways to the IRS. Just because you pay them money does not mean they work for you. Right. And uh, we also, I want to disclose, that the information we produce on this educational radio program that we give you is taken from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information, which is one of my favorite disclosures. It's kind of like my, our two favorite governmental agencies. Maybe there's three. Yeah, I, I think there's three governmental agencies, federal government, that we really like. The Bureau of Economic Analysis, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and the Census Bureau, because they're all bureaucrats, and we think it's really cool, and I would like to go visit them. I can just see whole floors of people sitting at desks in a dark room with green eye shades, very carefully writing things in ledgers. I think you've maybe watched um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid too many times. Oh. Those green yeah, eye shades were around for some reason. They're kind of hats with no tops, which right. makes people like us who are bald quite cold. Um, but... Uh, that's the, our definition of bureaucrats, and we're going to stick to it no matter what. Yeah. So there. Well, I suppose we should move on to the markets then. We've got a whole bunch of questions out there after we hit the market, too. We've got, because we did a rerun last week so that I could go to Cirque du Soleil, which was wonderful. Thank you all for, for allowing me to go to Cirque du Soleil and not talk on the radio. They frown on me talking in the radio on, in, in the middle of the audience for some reason. That makes sense. Well, the market was weird this week, uh, as more weird than usual, I guess. It kind of surged up and down and up and down, and there was a lot of conflict in the stock market in general. And various parts of the market behave very differently from other parts of the market. We tend to think of the stock market in the United States as being some monolith can, that, that is indicated by the Dow or by the S&P 500 or something like that. It's not. It, it, it's different, but it showed up a lot this week. Uh, the S&P 500 stock index, which is the broadest, um, widely followed index, dropped down in the 4,200s and then up to 44 and then shot back up to 4,400 and then shot back down again. And it finally ended at 4,328.87, down 1.27% for the week. Now, had you been following the news on any given day, you could have concluded that we were in a raging bull market or a raging bear market or something, and we really aren't either one. It's about 98 9.18% below its high at the beginning of the year. Uh, and that, despite, there's a lot of fear surging through the market participants, and I think you're aware of that. Uh, a lot of people are concerned that the war in Ukraine is going to spiral out of control and everything is going to fall apart, and I'm reading a lot about that and then a lot of people discussing it. But... The market is down 9.18% so far this year, which means we haven't actually had a correction yet. We haven't. We, we dipped into it for a moment right after the invasion. On the Monday after, it hit right. that moment for uh, and closed down 
if that was the entirety of the correction, I'd be a little bit surprised. Yeah, that was the shortest correction probably in the history of the markets, if it was. So we're really not in a correction. We're just seeing some down market. And during the, during the program, I'd like to discuss why stocks are down over this. There's, some, there's really some good reasons. Um, so it's, but the interesting thing is the S&P 500, if you're concerned about the fact that it's down almost 10%, it's up 12.67% from a year ago. So a one-year return of 12.67%, oddly enough, is pretty close to its long-term average. Um, so we've had a good year in the market uh, so far, uh, 12 months. Um, now we follow another asset class, uh, another index, because we just frankly like mid-cap value uh, stocks. And the CRSP mid-cap value index closed at 2503.36. It was down 0.84% for the week, and it's only down 3.62% since the year began. And there's a whole universe of things we could talk about there, but probably won't today. Uh, about why mid-cap value is down a lot less than the S&P 500. The other markets we follow include the 10-year U.S. Treasury note. Now, that was interesting because it shot up above 2% for a while last week. And now it's at 1.742%, uh, which is it's really pretty interesting when you consider the fact how big inflation has been. The 10-year Treasury note in essence says that the yield, which we, which we report in our newsletter every week and which we talk about on this radio program, in essence says people are willing to loan really big amounts of money to the United States government at a certain interest rate. Now, that interest rate, the one thing that's, that, that, that we basically are fairly certain of is that if I loan $1,000 to the United States government, by buying a 10-year treasury note. 10 years from now, I will get $1,000 back plus the interest along the way. Now, if there's inflation along the way, it will reduce the value of those dollars I get back. That $1,000 will buy less. So it's very reasonable that I would expect that the United States government will pay me enough interest to make me whole so that when I get my $1,000 back plus the interest, I break even. It's not quite true because economics really works. And fundamentally, you're paying a little bit for the guarantee. But in essence, what the 10-year Treasury note is telling us, and there's some other esoteric numbers that we plug in to figure this out, is that the participants in the bond market internationally, in the U.S. Treasury bond market, expect inflation over the next 10 years to average between 2 and 2.5%, two and which flies directly in the face of the recent inflation numbers and the great fear that we've heard about inflation being runaway. But there's a pretty, there's a huge consensus out there with people who have a lot of skin in the game that inflation ain't going to be that bad. Uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil was the exciting one, which is part of why the stock market is down. Uh, it jumped 25% this week in price, which is Pretty interesting. It's it's up there, pretty close to the uh, Brent. As uh, of see Brent, as of this moment, the price is rounded to a dollar. It's a hundred and fifteen dollars a barrel. Okay, so even. it's hundred and fifteen dollars. Even, even. No pennies. That's cool. Well, right. No no sense at all in that. Yeah, it's a senseless thing. And and one of the questions we've gotten, and I think it's a good question, is. 
why if we don't import much oil from Russia and we're pretty much independent where we have we actually produce more oil in the United States than we use, why do the price of oil go up? And the answer is because the conflict with Russia and the war itself is cut off a significant amount of world supply, which means the price of oil across the world goes up. And to give you a real quick analysis of why our prices go up, if there is a refinery on the Gulf Coast, let's say down in Texas City, and Wait, they are producing what gasoline. What state is that? Texas. Te- Texas, Texas City, Texas? What? Yes. How is that possible? There's a lot of refineries in Texas City down on the Gulf Coast. Oh, yes, of course. Um, okay, go ahead. Which is right across from Galveston. And and there's refineries are producing gasoline and they're producing whatever. Um, they're going to sell it to whoever will pay them the most for it. If Connecticut now, says, I will pay you $90, and uh, someone in the UK says, I will pay you $115, guess who they're going to take that money from? Yeah. So we're in a we're in a global system, and because we're in a global system, the amount of money that's charged for a barrel of oil and the amount of money for a gallon of gasoline is going to be pretty much equal across the world. Now, taxes will make a big difference in Europe. Taxes make a big difference here. But the bottom line to it is if there's a shortage in the global supply of oil, and there is for several reasons because of this war, then the price of oil goes up. So what you're in essence paying for in this a piece, a big piece of what you're paying for when you see the price of oil go up is the ability to hurt Russia. Yeah. So kind of I know it's kind of hard to smile when you see gasoline approaching four dollars a gallon. In some places, it's over four dollars a gallon. But that extra dollar that you're paying or extra two dollars or whatever that you're paying per gallon, in essence, is hurting Russia. And that should make you feel a little bit better anyway. Yeah. And in the UK, they pay about four times as much for their gasoline because of taxes. So it's it's reasonable to assume that we can afford it. It's not fun. Um, Another way of looking at this, and this is this is one that I think in a simplified setting makes people understand the free market system a little bit better. We don't buy much in the way of, of oil from Russia, almost any at all, because we're one of the biggest producers in the world. But we do buy some because some people have a good deal on delivery or a longer term contract. There's all kinds of reasons. But if you think of it instead, like your grandmother left you a Picasso painting. It's been sitting on the wall of your house for 30 years. You have not purchased any Picassos. You haven't sold any Picassos. It's just sitting there. It's on your wall. Some people consider it beautiful. Others go, oh, that's weird. But it's on your wall. Another Picasso painting, not even one he did in the same year. He used a completely different brand of paints on this other painting. Sells at auction for a absolutely absurdly huge amount of money. What does that do to the value of your painting? And anybody that's ever watched Antiques Roadshow goes, oh, I know, I know. My painting's more valuable now. Well, how? Why? You didn't buy any other paintings. It didn't affect you at all. It was somebody in another country that bought that thing. So why is your painting more valuable? Because the painting market is an international market as well. It may may be a little bit more difficult to look at a local niche like if 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 aunt bertha's making doilies they're probably not very uh, impacted by the price of doilies in ukraine 
<laughs> but that's not a global market, at least not in handmade from Aunt Bertha. Uh, doilies may be a global market, and most people would, if you want to buy a doily from China, you can. Um, probably for less than the costs that Aunt Bertha put into making hers. But hers is going to be more valuable because it was Aunt Bertha that did it. Do you have an Aunt Bertha too? No, but she, she I doesn't really Aunt exist. Bertha. Yes. Actually, I had a great Aunt Bertha. Which, as opposed to the and other your, not so great, great aunts. Great Aunt Bertha. You had a great, great Aunt Bertha. So my version of her was even greater than yours. That's right. Yeah. She was great, great to me. I never mm-hmm. knew her, though. But I oh. hear she was great, great. That's like better than Alexander the Great. Psh, had nothing on Bertha. She was great, and great. And she was physically a fairly large person. Not fat, just physically so, fairly large. So she was great in many ways. Yes. Yes, she was. Okay. Do you have a wrap-up? Bottom line to it is, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of rough things going on. Inflation is probably going to continue to rise because there's a war going on. Under, that's one side of the uh, of the danger zone. That's the danger zone. The other side, the negative side, that's the negative side. The positive side is the United States economy is running far more efficiently and far more healthily than it has run in my 50 years of observing it. It is, we're doing exceptionally well. Uh, I am nothing but impressed. And that's the battle that's going on in the stock market, by the way, is between the fact that domestically we're doing wonderfully and overseas things look kind of scary. Um, but there is absolutely no sign of a major downturn in the United States economy coming. And we only got about a minute left, so yeah. we need to do our off-the-air stuff. Yeah, if you'd like to talk to us off-the-air, we have voicemail waiting locally at... 254-947-1111. Or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can read our newsletter, sign up for the newsletter, send us messages, listen to the radio program. You can also go to any podcast provider for that. You can also email us directly at jeff or jake at tpwc.com, and we read those things and answer them, as you can kind of hear from the way we've been on the radio this this week. Uh, We appreciate all of your extra hard work and listening to us through static and, and black holes this week. And until next week, this has been the personal wealth coach.